We are continuing this series that we've been in for the past several weeks called Greater Than. Somebody said Greater Than. Come on, Greater Than, where we have been studying this book of Hebrews in the Bible that was written by an unknown author to this group of Jewish Christians who were kind of like second generation Jewish Christians. And they they were really struggling with this question. And it's a question that I know many of us have wrestled with in some form or fashion. The question is, is this worth it? And is this working? Is my faith in Jesus accomplishing what I thought it would? And is this worth it? Come on, come on. Some of y'all need to testify right here. Like, Come on, any believers in the room that you've been through some stuff, like you've, you've dealt with some things, and, and sometimes we can ask the question, like, is this really worth it? Like, is this worth it? And, and the answer is, yes, it's worth it. Yes, it's working. Even when it doesn't appear to be working, it is working because Jesus is at work. Come on, somebody. And so really, this author is, is encouraging the people. He's imploring the audience that he's writing to, to keep going. Come on, how many of you know that's an important message that we need to hear today? To just keep going. Come on, Finding Nemo, Dory, just keep swimming, just keep, all right, some of y'all are with me there, but hey, uh, we, we need that, right? We need that challenge, that encouragement to not give up, to just keep going, to keep serving Jesus, to keep walking with him. And, and so that is kind of the theme in this book of Hebrews. And we're going to read today in Hebrews chapter 7, a few verses in Hebrews 7, but then we're actually going to transition into the book of Galatians. Some of y'all are like, is that legal? Like, we're studying Hebrews. Like, Pastor Wayne hasn't been reading anything but Hebrews. Is is this okay? I promise you it's okay. We're going to begin in Hebrews. Then I'm going to flip the script, and we're going to move into Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read a few verses of scripture there as well. Are you all ready for the word of God this morning? All right, come on. Here we go. Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19, and then into verses 20 through, 22 through 27. It says, the former regulation, say former. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. What are they talking about here? For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope, say better hope. A better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Say better covenant. This series is called Greater Than. And what the author is saying here is that the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. We're going to talk more about that. Now, there have been many of those priests. This whole chapter, he's talking about Melchizedek and the high priesthood. And I know we talked about that a few weeks ago. This whole chapter is is kind of wrapped around that conversation of the priesthood. And and he says there have been many of those priests talking about the high priest who, who had to offer sacrifices. But since death prevented them from continuing in office, in other words, they all dead, okay? But because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Underline, exclamation mark, highlight. Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. 
Then he moves on and says, because he always lives to intercede for them. Man, what a powerful thought that Jesus is praying for you and I right now. That he lives to intercede on our behalf before God the Father. Come on, can you get that image in your heart this morning? Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Come on, that's a description of Jesus today. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. The author is saying there's a greater priest and there's a greater covenant. Jesus is a better high priest than any of the other high priests because look, he's gonna live forever. All these other priests, they dead. And this covenant, how many of you know, the new covenant, the, the covenant in Christ's blood is a much better covenant than the old covenant. We're gonna talk more about that old covenant in a few moments. And so the author to summarize is saying, don't turn back to the old ways. There's a better way. And as we flip over into the book of Galatians, the the writer for the book of Galatians is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest, most influential leaders in the history of the church. And he started many churches, started churches in this area of Galatia. And what, what he's doing is he's writing a letter to the churches that he had started in that area of Galatia. And he's trying to bring some correction to some things that he had heard were happening there in that church. And he's dealing with some similar issues as what we see the writer of Hebrews talking about in the passage that we just read. Let's let's read together in Galatians chapter one, verses six through nine. This is the apostle Paul. He says, I am astonished. Interesting. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, Paul says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. This morning, I want to speak to you on this topic, everything and nothing. Some of y'all were like, everything, we're going to be here a little while. (laughs) Everything and nothing is the title of today's message. Let's pray as we dive into the word of God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word has the power to bring life. Lord, we pray that that you would just write your word on our hearts today. Lord, that we would, uh, Lord, that we would be doers of your word. Lord, not just hearers, but that we would put into practice, Lord, the words that, that we partake of this morning. And God, that you would accomplish all that you desire in our lives as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would consider yourselves to be pizza connoisseurs? Hey, I heard some mmms in the room. Come on. 
I'm not talking about you like pizza a little bit. I'm talking about you have a refined taste for pizza. Come on, somebody. Come on, where you at? I would, I would consider myself, I mean, I don't want to brag up here today or anything, but I would consider myself to be a connoisseur of fine pizzas. The sauces, the, the, just the right mix of cheese and sauce and the, the right kind of crust. Come on, it can't be floppy. We got to have a little crunch to it. Come on. I, I would consider myself to be a connoisseur of fine pizzas. Did you know there are people who actually get paid to test pizza and give it a rating? Come on. I, I'm not making this up. It's on the internet, okay? You can look, you can look, look up uh, some pizza reviews, and, and there's one guy in particular that he does pizza reviews. I like to watch him, and he goes to all the best pizzerias all around the country, and he just eats a slice of pizza, gives it a rating, posts it on the internet. That's, that's a good job. Hello? Like, come on, kids are already out of the room. But kids, that's something you could aspire to. You could be a pizza connoisseur. You know, my kids already think that they know what good pizza is like. Here's what they know about good pizza. It's not the pizza at school. Nope, that's not it. Which I kind of think is not that bad if memory serves me correctly back in the day. Not a bad slice, okay? But here's what else they know. The little, the little square pizzas that are like 99 cents or probably now with inflation, $3.99. Those pizzas are not the good pizzas either. That's what my kids know. Now, about two years ago, my wife Laura and I had the privilege of going to Pizza Mecca, if you will, New York City. Come on. Now, there's debate about, like, is New York like the place to get a good slice, or is it Chicago? Some of you are like, what are we doing here? Why are we talking about pizza? Just work with me here for a minute, okay? New York City, the place to get a good slice, okay? And I, I was, you know, I've had Chicago pizza, and I will say my expert opinion is that the New York City slice is, is much better than the Chicago deep dish slice, all right? It's, it's just better, okay? So if you don't agree, I'm sorry, but you're wrong today, but... So while we were in New York, I made it a priority for us. It was not really a priority for Laura. By the end of the week, she was tired of test, taste testing pizza, okay? But anywhere we went, I was looking for the pizza spot along the way. And it didn't matter if we had already eaten. <laughs> it didn't matter if we already had lunch or dinner. If there was a pizza spot that was rate, rated pretty good on, on, you know, on the online rankings, which are accurate, right? It's online, so it must be true. If there was a pizza spot that we could try on the way, we were going to try the pizza. And so we taste tested a lot of good pizza that week. Now, I want to end a debate here today once and for all. Pineapple does not belong on pizza. I know. I know it might not be popular. It's okay. It's okay. And some of you may say, okay, I like pineapple pizza. You lost me there, pastor. Okay, I get it. But here's, here's the point. Watch this. The wrong topping on a good pizza can ruin the whole pizza. Now, for you, that wrong topping might, might not be pineapple. Okay, all right, I get it. I get it. Some of you were really passionate about that, like way more passionate than about the scripture I read a few minutes ago. Okay, but if you get the wrong topping on your, on your pizza, it ruins the whole thing. When I was a kid, the wrong topping, and even today, I don't want onions on my pizza, okay? Like, I just don't want that. Can I tell you the most popular slice of, you're getting Bible and pizza here today, okay? 
The most popular slice of pizza we all know is just a simple pepperoni slice. A pepperoni pizza is perfect just the way it is. Watch this. I'm about to make the correlation because I'm about to lose some of you. Here's where it is. A, A perfect pizza doesn't need extra toppings. It just ruins the pizza. A perfect savior doesn't need anything extra added to the gospel. He is perfect just all by himself. If you got Jesus, then that you don't need to add anything else to that message. If you got a pepperoni pizza, you don't need any pineapple. Come on. Paul is Paul is trying to say here to the Galatians, the message that I preach to you is the message. It's not Jesus and anything else. It's just Jesus. Come on, someone. And so what what the Apostle Paul is addressing here is a, a, a group of false teachers that came in after he left this region of Galatia. And and these false teachers were known as the Judaizers or Judaizers. And and really what their message was, was that, yeah, Jesus is good, but there's still some other things that you need to do. That's what they were teaching these Jewish Christians, that, yeah, I, I get it, you've received Jesus, that's awesome, good, but you still don't forget about these things. And so the Judaizers came in and they were, they were corrupting the gospel message that Paul had preached. Are you all with me this morning? They were corrupting that message. And, and Paul, Paul's writing this book of Galatians to address this false teaching. And he's telling these Galatian believers, yo, you're going astray. Like these people that came in that preached a different gospel, Jesus and all this other stuff, they're leading you astray. And so it's like, come on, anybody ever get that angry email or text message with all caps? Like the tone here is pretty serious. Come on, some of y'all are like, no, I never got that email. I just send it. (laughs) All right, I see y'all. That that angry message that's all caps. I got one of those recently. I'm not going to disclose who it came from or anything up here publicly, but I got one of those. Like, Like sometimes we get those angry like all caps, like this is really important. This is really important what the Apostle Paul's saying. Listen to some of the things that he, he says. It's like he's writing in all caps. He uses phrases like, I'm astonished. That's how he began. Verse six, he said, I'm astonished. And then he says, evidently you were confused. You wanna make somebody feel pretty small? <laughs> That's a good phrase that you could use. Evidently you're confused, he says. This is not even the gospel at all. He says they've distorted it to the point that this isn't the gospel. Then he says they have perverted the gospel. These are strong words, y'all. Let them be eternally condemned. That's strong language. He says they, they have perverted the message. Let them be eternally condemned. Let me make this statement this morning. Because God has always been perfect, amen, and humanity has always been flawed, amen, God had to set up a system for us to be accepted by him. Now, we read in Hebrews, the the author is saying, don't go back to the old ways. Don't go back to the old covenant. There is a new way that is better. And it's through Jesus, the writer said. 
Have you ever noticed how we tend to overestimate our own goodness and underestimate God's goodness? We tend to think a little more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Come on, I'm looking in the mirror this morning. But oftentimes, at the same time, we tend to underestimate just how good God is. Does anyone in the room, like, can anyone testify to the goodness of God today? Like, has God been good to anybody? Come on. But we, we tend to forget how good God is quickly. And we tend to forget how bad we can be quickly as well. And so because God had to set up this system, we, we know about the old covenant, and now the, the new covenant in Christ that he died for our sins. There, there were some aspects of the system that were put into place in the old covenant that we're going to talk about just for a moment. How many of you think it's important to, to remember where we came from to understand the significance of where we are? And even though probably very few of us in the room are Jews this morning, the, the history in the Old Testament points us to a better way that is Jesus. And so there were some elements in the Old Testament that were prevalent. There, there was the law, there was sacrifice, and there was the priesthood, okay? And some of you, maybe these terms are like newer, and you're like, what is that all about? I'm going to give us just a quick like history synopsis of, of these things. There was, there was the law, there was sacrifice, and there was the priesthood. Let's start with the law. And so when I say the law this morning, for the purpose of this conversation. We're not talking about the local law or the laws of the United States. We're talking about the Levitical law that was laid out in the Old Testament. It was given to Moses, through Moses, to the people. And there were over 600 regulations that God gave the Israelites at that time. Now, how many of you are like me and you have trouble like following three rules, right? Or hello, Adam and Eve, like, okay, you can do anything except just don't eat from these trees. Okay, yeah, like we're going to mess up when there's too many rules. 600 plus rules. How many of you think that would be pretty hard to follow? So this is the Levitical law. I found just a few of these that are kind of fun that I just wanted to share this morning. Here are a few of those laws that, uh, that were a part of the Levitical law. Things like, uh, if you're a priest, don't let your hair become unkempt. In other words, don't let your hair be all messy. That's why you see like this is the look, right? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. And actually, the punishment for that, for the priest, was like, if you let your hair get uh, unkempt, all messy, like the punishment, no big deal, you will die. Okay, all right. That was the law uh, related to being unkempt. Here's one that we're not going to like in this room today. You could not eat or touch the carcass of any seafood that, that did not have fins or scales. Hello, crawfish season. Hello? Like, crawfish is not kosher in the Jewish dietary regulations of the Old Testament. And the punishment for said crime was that you were unclean, okay? And you had to like stand outside the city and, and say, unclean, unclean. You couldn't go worship in the temple. People couldn't touch you. Like they were having a crawfish boil outside of the city saying, unclean, unclean, unclean. All right, it's just a joke. But that, that was in, in, the, in the Levitical law. Here's one. If you had a baby, you couldn't go to church for 33 days after giving birth to a boy and 66 days after giving birth to a girl. There was something about giving birth to a girl that was twice as, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. It's in there. It's in the law. They, they had to go give a sacrifice after 33 days with a boy, 66 days for a girl. Here's the last one I'll share. 
when they would offer the sacrifices to God, they had to season the sacrifice. Like that's really what it said. You had to put salt on the offerings. Come on, how many of you know it's a sin not to season your food right? In the Levitical law, that's actually what it said. So over 600 laws, here's the point. God set this up as a, as a way for people to relate to him and to relate to one another. He gave them regulations. And, and you know what? where the law left everyone, including you and I? It left us understanding that we were completely powerless to fulfill the law. That's, that's a, an important understanding for us to have that we on our own cannot follow God's regulations. We need a savior. Hello? Second, there was a sacrifice for sins. When a person sinned, there had to be a substitute to pay the penalty for the sin. And it involved things like doves and pigeons and goats and bulls and rams. And how many of you know that would probably get confusing? Like, do I need a goat today or a ram or a pigeon? I don't, which one is it? Leviticus 1 verses 1 through 4, it says, The Lord called to Moses and he said, Speak to the Israelites, say to them, When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, you were to offer a male without defect. So it had to be a certain, uh, a certain quality of animal. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. How many of you know, like, this doesn't sound fun. Like, this is not my idea of worshiping God and, 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 and getting to God in, in a way that is, is sustainable, right? This is no joke. So you have the law, you have a sacrifice, and finally there was the priest or the priesthood. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus being our high priest, that he is the high priest that we needed. And the high priest would represent God to the people. The high priest would represent the people to God. He was mediating on behalf of man. And like the scripture said that we read this morning, Jesus is our high priest. He's interceding on our behalf in heaven right now. That that we needed a greater priest. And, and it had to be a priest that could mediate on our behalf. And the problem was that the, the author of Hebrews says, these priests keep dying. So it, they're, they're not sufficient. But there's one priest, hello, that is reigning and living forever. That's Jesus. He's the priest that we needed. And so you have, you have the law, you have the sacrifice, you have the priesthood. And here's what Jesus did. He came and fulfilled all of that perfectly. I'm going to say that again to this side of the room because they didn't look excited. Here's what Jesus did. He came and fulfilled the law perfectly. He, he kept the, all those rules and regulations. He did those. Like we could not do those. He did those perfectly. Here's what else he did. He was the perfect sacrifice. The spotless lamb of God, John the Baptist said, who was slain for our sins. And then he's interceding on our behalf right now as the perfect high priest. Take all of that, the law, the sacrifice, the priesthood, that whole system that was very complicated and pretty hard, hello? And Jesus perfectly fulfilled it all. Come on, what a savior. Come on, you could give it up for Jesus right there. Like, come on, that's amazing. He fulfilled all of that. Now, here's what happened, though. When we look at, at this scripture in Hebrews and, and this passage in Galatians, we see that both the Apostle Paul and the writer of Hebrews, they're dealing with Jewish believers that tend to drift. 
they would drift back to what they know. How many of you know we drift back to what we know or what's comfortable or what's familiar? And so they're both writing to audiences that were entrenched in this way of the old ways, the old system, the way we used to do things. Well, and so they were drifting back. And so they're writing to an audience that this idea of like, no, don't go back to the old covenant. No, it's not Jesus plus anything else that these other false teachers are telling you. It's just Jesus. It's just this new system. Like he did it all. So they're dealing with that drift mentality. Can I tell you today that we have a drift mentality? Come on, let's, let's be real. We tend to drift away from, from Jesus, from what matters most, from the true gospel. Can I tell you what we drift toward the most? Ourselves. We drift towards what feels good to me, what's comfortable to me, what I want, what I prefer, what I would like to do, the way that I would like to worship God, the songs that I like, the, the passages, the translation, like the things that I like. Come on, let's be real. We, we are, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I, I can be selfish. We tend to drift towards self. That's why the Bible says we have to die to self that we have to take up our cross and follow Jesus and die to ourselves. We, we, one of the ways this can look, can I, can I talk to the people who've been in church for a hot minute today? If you're a newer person in church, or maybe you're a guest, or maybe you're just here kind of exploring this idea of faith today, let, let me give you a glimpse kind of behind the curtain. Sometimes for those of us who have followed God for a few years or maybe many years, what it can look like is we feel like we're on track if we're doing the things, if we're checking the boxes. Hello? Uh, yeah, my prayer time this week, solid. 30 minutes a day, I timed it every day. I, I got even 31 minutes one of the days. Like, it was solid. You want to see my Bible? Highlighted, notes, right? Got stuff going on in there, right? And what happens is, is we, can, we can think that when we're doing those things well, that, that that's the way to God. Jesus is the way. That's just how we grow. Listen, I don't want to diminish the importance of spiritual disciplines. Those things are significant, vital, life-giving. Hello? We need to do those things. But can I tell you, those things are not what make us right with God that Jesus made us right with God. Those are the things that we do to grow in our faith. But those aren't, that is not the way. Like your, your Bible plan on, on uh, the Bible app is not the way to Jesus. Come on, it is, it is part of the way that you grow. But if we're not careful, we drift towards, I, I'm a good person. Like I'm doing better. You've seen my neighbors? You've see, you seen what they're doing? Like I know I'm better than that. I'm better than the people that are in jail or like I'm better than who I used to be. Hello, like we can drift towards that ideology. But, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we're saved through faith by grace and that it's through Christ alone. And so the apostle Paul is really trying to address this idea and, and he's, he's speaking to this, this church in the region of Galatia that had been led astray and, and really, these false teachers are saying, yeah, Jesus, yeah, that's good. 
but you still need to be circumcised. You still need to uh, eat certain things and not eat certain things. They were, they were really mixing elements of the old way with the new way. And what Paul is saying is like, the old way was useless. It, it's, it's, it's done. Like Jesus, that's a wrap on that. And so what he's saying is that it, it, they, they were coming in and saying that it needed to be Jesus and fill in the blank. Jesus and if you get circumcised, Jesus and if you read your Bible 30 minutes a day, Jesus and uh, like whatever, fill in the blank, whatever we can do on our own accord is, is kind of what goes in that blank. Come on, how many of you know that we can't overcome sin on our own, that we need a savior to help us do that? That, that we can't make a way to God on our own, that Jesus made the way. And so Paul's saying, Jesus and fill in the blank, that's not right. Actually, here's what it is. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And some of you have heard us say that before in, in, at Saints Community Church, and here's why. It's a timeless truth. It's still, still as true today as it was maybe a year ago or two years ago, that Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That that is, that is the way to God through faith in Christ. That that's, how many of you know that's all we need? Like that is our hope. If, if you're laying on your deathbed and you have Jesus, that is all the hope that you need. That is the hope of heaven that we fix our eyes on. And so the apostle Paul is saying, like, don't get it twisted. Like these false teachers that told you you needed Jesus plus this and this and this, that's wrong. All you need is Jesus. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I wanna just talk for a few moments about what a, a false gospel can look like. I think it's, how many of you know it's important to know what truth looks like? And in order for us to know truth, we, we kind of need to be schooled in what a lie looks like. And it's important to think about these false teachers, they didn't come in like with a devil suit on and horns and like, they, they weren't introducing something that was completely different than elements of the gospel, right? It was subtle. There were subtleties to what they were introducing. So I, I wanna just mention a few ideas related to false gospels. There are, there are false gospels today. It wasn't just in Galatia. There are false gospels that are rampant in our society today. Here are a few ways that that might look. A false gospel portrays hope in a system or a set of rules. On the flip side, a true gospel says that you'll never be able to follow all the rules, but Jesus did. Come on. Right, this is legalism. A list of do's and don'ts. And if you do these things and you don't do those things, then you're on the right path to get to God. And what it does is it, it puts an emphasis on the do's and don'ts and it de-emphasizes Jesus, which is where all of our emphasis should be, amen? Now, here are two problems with that. First of all, number one, you're not a good person and neither am I. That's what the Bible says, that there are none righteous, no, not one, only Jesus. And the second problem with that is that it takes our eyes off of him. It puts our eyes on our own actions and deeds. I want you to listen to this quote. It says, legalism insists that obedience precedes, comes before acceptance. Interesting. 
Legalism says that obedience comes before acceptance. The, the gospel, the freedom found in the gospel says that acceptance actually precedes obedience. That while we were still sinners, Christ died. That, that Jesus accepts us just as we are when we come to him. And then you know what happens? We begin to learn to obey. We begin to walk with him and learn obedience. Legalism says God loves you only if you're good. The gospel says God will make us good because he loves us. Come on. God takes our mess of a life and, and he cleans us up and he teaches us how to live for him. Here's another way that a false gospel can look. A false gospel puts hope, portrays hope in ourselves. A true gospel says that Jesus is the only hope. A true gospel says, nope, not Jesus and your good deeds. It's faith in Christ alone. It says, in essence, uh, I, I might not be a good guy, but I'm better than the person next to me, right? It's again that comparison, but, but here's, here's the reality. Our only hope is through the grace of God. Come on, are you thankful for God's grace this morning? Are you thankful for the hope that we have that's found in him that it's because of his mercy, it's because of his compassion, it's because of his loving kindness that, that has made a way for us to get to the Father. God saw us first, even in our rebellion. Here's the, the last thing. A false gospel says if we do things to, says we must do things to be right with God. A true gospel says I'm right with God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. We don't have to work for God's love. Again, I don't want to diminish the importance of spiritual disciplines. We want to grow. Hello? We want to become more like Jesus as we walk with him. But it's not those things that earn you God's love. That was only bought by the blood of Jesus. He doesn't need any help, not even from you or I. Here's what I want us to remember this morning. The true gospel, say true gospel. Watch this, this is important. It has the ability not just to save us, but to sustain us. The true gospel has the ability to both save and sustain. Come on, if, if all that the gospel accomplishes is that we get saved, how many of you know that gets hard to live out our lives for all the years after that? Come on, I've, I've been walking with Jesus almost 20 years, and I, I gotta tell you, one, one truth that I've come to realize is that I didn't just need the saving power of Christ. I need his sustaining power. I need his power to walk me through a global pandemic and trying to lead people during that time. Hello? I, I need his power to help me deal with the problems that I face day after day, right? We need the sustaining power of Jesus. He doesn't just save us and leave us to figure, okay, good luck, figure it out. See you in heaven. No, he sustains us. He walks with us. And when it comes to a Christian life, what, what we sometimes, the lie that we sometimes believe is that the gospel gets us in, but my own efforts keep me there. The, the gospel is, is what 
brings me to Jesus, but okay, thank you, Jesus. Appreciate your life, death, resurrection. I got this now. I, I can handle it from here. Come on. That's, that's foolish, is it not? But sometimes we, we tend to live our lives that way. Like, I, I got this. I can do this by my own strength, by my own wisdom, by my own abilities. And what I need us to, to just leave here remembering today is that the same power that made us right with God is what will keep us right with God. That the same power that saves us has the ability to sustain us. Amen? Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter two. Again, the apostle Paul writing to a church he had started, he said, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. He says, okay, you receive Jesus, now walk in him. Now walk with him. Now be built up in him. In other words, he, you, you were saved by him, now let him sustain you by walking with him. Any, anybody ever try to teach your kids how to walk or ride a bike? And as I was thinking about this concept, I was thinking about that image of like, when your kid's learning how to walk, you can be across the room and say, okay, walk to me. And they try and they stumble and they fall. As opposed to trying to teach your child to walk by holding their hand. And I just get the image of God just wanting us to walk with him like this. Hey, just take my hand. Stop trying to do things all on your own. Stop striving so hard. Stop trying to do things in your own power. Look, I, I was strong enough to save you. I'm strong enough to sustain. Just take my hand. Come on, that image of childlike faith. That, that God doesn't just save us and leave us to figure things out, that he sustains us. It says, walk in him. Come on, I just want to encourage you today to walk in him. To walk in step with him. It looks a lot different trying to get to God, to walk to God, to try to figure it out. Like, how do I get to God? Do I, how, how can I navigate these things? I, I've got to get to God. That's a lot different image than the image of walking with God, holding his hand, walking through day by day, moment by moment, struggle by struggle, understanding that he's the one that can sustain us, that he's the one that walks with us, that we can be, as Paul said, built up in him. You know, this drift tendency, we all have it. Scholars say that uh, the book of Galatians, they're not 100% sure, but they think that it was most likely written about two years after Paul had been there and started the church. That's how long it took for them to drift. Hello? It didn't take long. Come on, we know this. Like, left to our own devices, we, we can mess things up pretty quickly. That, that it doesn't take long to drift. And I just wanna encourage everyone in the room, and especially if you've been a church attender for a long time, man, if, if you're viewing spiritual disciplines, church attendance, small group attendance as like, 
okay, I'm doing the right things. Like, okay, God, you see me? Like, I'm, I'm checking the boxes. I, we're good, right? How many of you know that's the wrong perspective? That those are things that we do to grow in God. But what we want to do instead of check boxes is just walk with him. Come on. That what's more important is that we are just intimately holding God's hand, navigating the challenges of life. 